Stephen, your uh, little hand out here. Uh, let's pray over the message. Other night, we thank you for your presence here. God, it is so awesome to come here each week to celebrate your goodness. We thank you for this weekly day of rest that you have given to us, a day to come into your presence as a congregation. And we thank you, Lord, that you have been faithful to your word. You tell us that we're two or three gather in your name, that you are in the midst of us. And certainly we have sensed your presence here today, God, as we have expressed our love and worship to you. And, and we have sensed you loving us back, God, and we thank you for that. And God, we know you have a word to speak to us now, and we want to have ears to hear what your Ruach would say. Uh, so I pray that you would help each one of us to be attentive. Uh, God, I pray that uh, it, uh, the word would go deep into the soil of our heart, and it would bear abundant fruit for your kingdom. And we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. So last week we began a, uh, it's a three-week series, just a short series entitled, What's in Your Eternal Portfolio? with a message uh, by Rabbi Michael entitled, Reading the Fine Print. And in case you weren't here, these were the four points that Rabbi Michael went over in his message. And uh, you can always listen to it on our podcast. Uh, so you can go onto our website and can find it there. Again, thank you to Randy for uh, always uploading that and getting that working for us. And it's been a pleasure. People have been listening to it across the nation and, and again, literally around the world. So we are blessed that he handles that for us. But just to recap that message about reading the fine print, he talked about uh, what biblical stewardship is. And number one, uh, it, it focused on four rules. The first rule was the rule of ownership, that God owns everything. The second, and this is notes from last week, so you don't have to write this down, was the rule of responsibility, that as stewards of what God has given us, we are responsible for what we do with it and how we treat it. The third rule he uh, shared with us was the rule of accountability, meaning we have to give account to Adonai for how we manage the things we have been entrusted with. And the fourth thing he said was the rule of reward, that you reap what you sow, you reap after you sow, and you reap more than you sow. So I was really encouraged by his message, and I said there was just, you know, my heart was just encouraged as I listened to my husband speak last week. So I pray that you receive those things and, again, are walking in them, asking God to help you. And uh, so today's message, as we continue this, this theme of uh, eternal portfolios, is entitled Partners Wanted. And our goal in this little short series is to get you thinking of your eternal investments. What are you investing towards eternity? Because the reality is, if you live to your potential which is what my children feel I'm going to live to 120 years old, 120 years, and then it's eternity. So even if we live to 120 years, that's short compared to eternity. So we really should be thinking of eternal investments. What are we, you know, uh, investing towards eternity? And one of the best ways you can ensure that you're making wise investments is to become a partner with God. Now, many of us know this quote from D.L. Moody. He said, if God is your partner, what? Make your plans big. Well, as I was thinking of this quote, uh, when I was beginning to work on this message, I really felt I wanted to look at this from a different angle. If we are to be God's partners, what qualities do we need to have? See, because God being our partner is never going to be issue because we know that he's faithful and true and, and all those good things, you know, 
He's never going to be the weak link in the partnership, right? So when you go into partnership, uh, just think about it in terms of a, a practical uh, a, a partnership here in the earthly terms. Uh, you want to make sure you're partnering with someone that's, you know, it's worth being a partner with. So God's never going to be the problem. But how about us? What do we need to do to be a partner with God? So we're going to look at eight things this morning. Obviously not exhaustive. None of these lists ever are. But to give us thinking, are we what we need to be in order to partner with God? So the first thing I want us to look at this morning here, number one, is that we need to be faithful. Faithfulness. This means showing a strong sense of duty or conscientiousness, and it involves a commitment to a relationship. And key to being faithful is obedience. And Avraham was the first person who came to mind when I thought of being faithful. Because faithfulness is not a one-time action. Sometimes we can think of that, oh, yeah, I'm faithful to God. You know, I, I, you know, I accepted Yeshua as my Messiah, and now that's, that's all that's needed. No, faithfulness has to be seen in our regular, and uh, in, in, in our everyday life, uh, and uh, not just at one time, but continually showing ourselves to be faithful. So I went to the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrews chapter 11, which summarized the faithfulness of Abraham throughout his life. In verse 8, it says, By trusting, Abraham obeyed. Again, there's that word obey, because that's key to faithfulness. After being called to go out to a place which God would give to him as a possession. Indeed, he went out without knowing where he was gone. He trusted. By trusting, he lived as a temporary resident in the land of the promise, as if it were not his, staying in tents with Yitzchak and Yaakov, who would receive what was promised along with him. So there we see, Abraham was faithful. He trusted God, and he was faithful to do what God told him to do. God said, Abraham, leave this country. Leave your family. Leave your household and go to a land that I'm going to show you. And we have talked about Abraham so many different times here in, in messages, you know, but it was a big deal to, to leave your country and your land back in Abraham's day. They didn't have GPSs. They didn't have maps. And it says to a land, I, I'm going to show you. In other words, you don't know this land yet. And Abraham was faithful to do what God told him. And the second thing it tells us here in Hebrews, if you look down at verse 17, by trusting Abraham, who was put to the test, offered up Yitzchak as a sacrifice. Yes, he offered up his only son, whom he, he who had received the promises. Now, if we know the story, and again, just briefly to summarize this for us, you know, that God promised Abraham a son. And finally, that son came, Yitzchak. And then God tells uh, Abraham, you need to go and offer your son on Mount Moriah. And Abraham is faithful to what God has asked him to do. And he goes up to Mount Moriah. And, of course, we talk about this a lot around Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur with the Akedah of Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac, and how Abraham goes up. But God provides a ram in the thicket. But on Abraham's part, he was faithful to do what God asked him to do. So if you and I are going to be a partner with God, we need to be found faithful to him. Every day, every week, every month, every year, every decision we make, that we are faithful to do what he is asking us to do. So that's the first thing that we need to walk in is faithfulness. The second thing 
is that we need to be trustworthy. And when I thought of being trustworthy, I thought of the quality of being truthful and dependable. And the person from the scriptures who came to mind about this was Daniel. And look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. Here it says that the other chiefs and the viceroys tried to find a cause for a complaint against Daniel in regard to how he performed his governing duties. But they could find nothing to complain about. No fault. On the contrary, because he was so faithful, not a single instance of negligence or faulty administration could be found. That is a pretty uh, awesome testimony of Daniel's character. And I am sure that that is why God used him powerful, because he was found to be trustworthy. And as I was reading through that, just thinking, wow, could it be said of me that if someone were to examine my life, that they would find nothing to complain about? And how I conducted my life and my affairs, that there would be nothing that they could find, no fault. See, because Daniel was a man of integrity, and that's why they could not find anything against him. He didn't manage his affairs with greed or with corruption, something that is so common, unfortunately, in our world today. And he was valuable to the king because he was someone who could be depended on to get the job done with honesty. And when we think about Daniel, we need to remember that he is a captive in a foreign land. Now, on Wednesday night, one of the studies that's taking place, just to put a plug in, is through the book of Esther with Rabbi Michael. And Esther also is a a woman who is in captive when God uses her in a mighty way. And sometimes we forget that they are in a foreign land uh, under a foreign ruler, and they are really, again, captives. They're not free people. So think about that. Daniel is here in this foreign land, and he is found to be faithful to a foreign king. You see what is happening here? So that God finds Daniel to be trustworthy in the natural realm, and that's why God partners with him in the spiritual realm. You know, he it, it's amazing when you think about how Daniel and, and Esther were able to maintain these godly qualities under the leadership of godless men. Selah. You and I need to do the same. We need to maintain godly qualities even if we are under the leadership of godless people. Perhaps in in your work situation, you can look in our country. Obviously, you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, political talk going on, even amongst ourselves with this, this year of the election. And you just sometimes you just shake your head like, what is truth? You know, this, this one candidate says this other candidate is this way, and then he retorts back, no, this one is this way. And you're like, well, who is, who's right? Who did what? But for our part, irregardless of whether the, <clears throat> the governor of our state, whether the, the local leadership uh, in, in government or, again, on our workplace, whether those people are godly or not, does not impact our character. Our character needs to be like that of Daniel, that we are trustworthy, that we are people of integrity. And every time that a believer walks in integrity, even in godless situation, Adonai partners with them, and almost without exception, they are elevated to positions, just like Daniel was, that he was elevated to a high position in the land, 
And the king trusted this foreigner with state affairs. It's because he was trustworthy. So you and I need to found, be found to be trustworthy if we want to partner with God. And think about it. How much more easier it should be to be trustworthy when God is your partner? Okay? It might be hard if you have a godless, you know, uh, a boss, you know, and a supervisor who, you know, is, as one of the counselors said to my son about teachers selecting teachers, you know, he, they said, if you get the teacher from hell, you know, then come in. So you might have the supervisor from hell, and then you might find it hard to walk as a godly person with a supervisor from hell. But God is someone who is godly, because he's God, obviously. And how much easier it should be for us to walk godly with him, to have these attributes in our relationship with him. Because he is awesome, he loves us, he's our creator, he cares for us. So this should be easy for us to be found to be faithful, to be found to be trustworthy when we're partnering with God. The third thing for us on our side to be a partner with God, we need to be available. Like the prophet Isaiah, we need to simply say, Hineni, here I am. We need to get rid of excuses that would hinder this partnership. We talked about this last week in Junior Shabbat. They made a little... Uh, uh, their little craft was the thing that said no excuses, right? And talked about how everyone was to do their part. And what are some of the excuses that we come up with to God? Well, one of the first things that I thought of was, I'm too busy. God get someone else. I'm too busy. And it made me think about a lot of the people in the scriptures that God used and how busy they were. Moshe was busy with his flock at Mount Horeb. Gideon was busy threshing the wheat. Shaul was busy searching for his father's lost donkeys. David was busy caring for his father's sheep. Elijah was busy plowing with the yoke of oxen. Nehemiah was busy bearing the king's wine cup. Amos was busy following the flock. Matthew was busy collecting customs. Yaakov, Yochanan, Kepha, and Andrew were busy fishing and mending their nets. But what do they all have in common? They said, Hineni, I'm available, God. Even in their busy schedule, they said, I'm available. If you and I want to partner with God, again, I love that quote by D.L. Moody, and as I said, many of us in this congregation know it. If God is your partner, make your plans big. Yes, let's go, God. Make your plans large. Well, big is a synonym. But to quote him exactly, make your plans large. My husband corrected me. And again, God is someone that we, we can trust, but can he trust us to partner with him? And when you think of investing for eternity, you want to be found to be all of these things and more so that you can partner with God. The reality is no one is sitting around, as I like to say to my family sometimes, when they're like, well, what are you doing? I'm saying, well, I'm not sitting around eating bonbons, right? In other words, our schedules are full. We have responsibilities. We have family. Almost everyone in the congregation here has a job. And, uh, and, but in the midst of our busy lives, we need to make ourselves available for the kingdom business. Even in the open worship, uh, as my husband encouraged 
you know, prophetically, it gave a word there that God says, you know, to seek first his kingdom. And all these things will be added unto you. Making yourself available says, God, I'm putting you first. And again, that's been a theme that has uh, come in the last couple of weeks, even in Rabbi Michael's message last week, and certainly during the month of January, as we spent those 21 days just seeking his face and his presence. And again, if I want to be a partner with God, I'm saying, God, I'm available. I'm going to put your kingdom first. And read here the story of the Talmudim from Matthew chapter 4. As Yeshua walked by, by Lake Canaret, he saw two brothers who were fishermen, Shimon, known as Kepha, and his brother Andrew, throwing their net into the lake. And Yeshua said to them, come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. And what did they do? Oh, just a minute, Yeshua. Let us talk about it. Kepha says, Andrew, I don't know, Andrew. We're pretty busy here. And, you know, what's our father going to say if we leave the boats here? We need to maybe, you know, go have a family meeting before we decide whether we're going to follow after Yeshua. No, what they say or what they do, right? It says, at once, verse 20, at once they left their nets and went with him. They said, Yeshua, we're available. We're going to partner with you by saying we're available. Okay? God's not looking for people who have great talent. If you do, that's awesome. If you don't, he doesn't care. This one quality is probably one of the most important qualities to partner with God. That's to say, I'm available. A friend of mine used to say, God uses those people who show up. Doesn't always use the most talented, the most qualified. He uses the people who show up. Friends, we need to show up. Say, God, hineni, here I am for your kingdom, for your cause. As I said, we're talking about eternity. If you live to be 120 years, God bless you. I, you know, again, my children speak that over me all the time, and I pray for 120 healthy years. But we're talking about eternity, which is millions and gazillions longer than 120 years. And what are you and I investing towards eternity? Making ourselves available to partner with God is very important. And then it continues going on. From there, he saw two other brothers, Yaakov ben Zavzai and Yochanan, his brother, in the boat with their father, repairing their nets, and he called to them. Similar response. At once, they left their nets. They said, we're available, Yeshua. We will partner with you. We're only fishermen. We're not the, the extremely educated, but we're here to do whatever you ask us to do. And God used those four men and the other Talmudim and many others in the first century who said, Hineni, I'm available. I'm here, God. And when they did, Yeshua was their partner, and they did awesome things. Think about the story of Kepha and Yochanan walking by the gate, beautiful in Acts chapter 3, and they came to that man and I think this might be in my message a little later, but they came to you right now. And they said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have to you, I give to you in the name of Yeshua. Rise and be healed. And what happened? The man was healed. That's because they partnered with Yeshua. They said, Hineni, I am here. I am available. The fourth thing, if we're going to be a partner with God, we need to be problem solvers. What's a problem solver? 
someone who sees a, sees a need and gets involved in the solution. Reading from Acts chapter 6, this first century congregation had a problem. So many people are coming to faith when Cain uh, preaches his message in Acts chapter 2 and 3. We see 5,000 come to faith, men, and then 3,000. So the, the Kehilah is growing and growing exponentially. In other words, very, very fast. And now there's a problem. And we read about it here in Acts chapter 6. Around this time, the number of Talmudim were growing. And the Greek-speaking Jews began complaining against those who spoke Hebrew that there were those were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So the 12 called a general meeting of the Talmudim and said, it isn't appropriate that we should neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. So brothers, choose seven men from among yourselves who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will appoint them to be in charge of this important matter. Do you understand? Again, because we... Uh, quantify in our minds what's important. So being on the platform is important, right? Everybody thinks that. But being on the platform is only one thing, and everybody can't be on the platform. Otherwise, we have no one sitting in the seats, right? Otherwise, we have no one uh, uh, working in the nursery or, or downstairs with the children right now. And you all know my heart. Those people in the nursery and those people downstairs are doing the most important thing, okay? And here, the Talmudim say, this is an important job waiting on the tables. In other words, distributing to the poor and the widows here. Somebody needs to take care of it. This is an important job. Do you understand the, the concept here? Because, again, we get everything sort of mixed up because we think, oh, if I'm in front of the congregation, then I'm important. No. These were people who were going to make sure the widows were taken care of. They weren't going, to get, weren't going to speak in front of the congregation. They weren't, you know, going to lead the worship. They, they were going to make sure widows were getting their food. And God said through the Talmudim, this is important. So don't categorize things in your mind as being more important because in God's mind, they're not. We need to do what God has called each one of us to do. That's all side free information and exhortation to you. So, so we will appoint them to be in charge of this important matter, but we ourselves will give our full attention to praying and to serving the word. Why did the Talmudim say that? Because that was their responsibility. The apostles, the, the Shulachim, they had a role, and that role was to devote themselves to prayer and the word so that they could lead the Kehilah. And they were saying, but someone else has to take care of this other matter because it's just as important. So let's find some godly men, and there's the qualifications for these men, in order that they could take care of these widows and uh, that they could get their food and things like this. And they're, they're showing how responsibility has to be shared in the kehilah, each one doing their part, which is what we talked about downstairs last week with the children. And so what they said was agreeable to the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Ruach HaKodesh, Philip, uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, who was a proselyte from Antioch. And they presented these men to the emissaries who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God continued to spread. The Talmudim in Yerushalayim increased rapidly, and large crowds of Kohanim uh, were becoming obedient to the faith. There was a practical issue here in this first century Kehilah that needed answers. And what did these men do? They solved the problem in a godly manner. Three things to solve a problem in a godly manner. Number one is pray. 
That's why we pray all the time in this congregation. We have several prayer meetings. We're trying to increase prayer by having the different ministry teams pray before every uh, Saturday service now and our Wednesday night service as well. So because prayer is powerful and we will continue to be a congregation of prayer. My husband and I believe in prayer. We practice prayer. Uh, and so prayer is, is important to being able to solve a problem because God speaks when you pray. And he gives you direction and encouragement and tells you what to do. The second thing is to live by biblical principles. In other words, if I'm going to solve a problem, I can't go against what God's word says in trying to solve the problem. So these uh, Talmudin, these uh, emissaries here, needed to devote themselves to prayer and the word. It's not that they weren't too good to serve at tables, but they had other responsibilities. And again, this is a biblical principle that if ignored creates problems in the kehilah. They couldn't get uh, sidetracked from the responsibility that God had given them as the spiritual leaders, so they delegated this other responsibility that now arose in the kehilah to godly men. The responsibility, again, of caring for these widows. Biblical principles, several that are in there, again, that each person needs to do their, their job. But the reality is, when you don't show up to do your job, someone else will do it. Or it doesn't get done. But I can say for the most times in this congregation, somebody rises to the occasion. And we've talked about this when we've talked about the Kehilah in many times past, you know, that we're all members of one body, uh, but we all have different functions. Everyone's not the hand. Everyone's not the eye. Everyone's not the foot. You know, and if the foot says, I don't need the hand anymore, that's ridiculous, right? But when the, the foot is not doing its job and the hand has to try to compensate, my hand wasn't made to do the work that the foot does. Now, you know, if I had to, I could use it, but it's going to make it tough. And sometimes in the kehilah, in the, in, the, in the body, in the congregation, things uh, are getting done, but not how they should be because the person who is, is the hand is doing the job of the foot because the foot didn't show up. You get, you get my drift? Yeah, right? It's pretty clear. And so these emissaries understood it. They could have gone and waited on the tables. It wasn't above them. And then I can, I've told you before, there's no spiritual leader that thinks they are above doing things like that. My husband and I clean the congregation at least once a month with our team. This week we helped Gary's team to clean. And if nobody shows up and there's something that needs to be done, we're going to be the, the first to, to do that. But we have a responsibility, first and foremost, to be the spiritual leaders of this congregation, and to take care of that responsibility, just like each of you have your part to do. And so these emissaries understood that they need to follow biblical principles in coming up with a solution. And then the final thing is that they were people of action. And, and, and we, if we want to, to be a, a people who are problem solvers, we need to be people of action. And besides this story here from Acts, I thought of David and Goliath. There were many soldiers on the battlefield that day when Goliath came taunting. But only one fought him. David was a man of action. He was a problem solver. He said, this is a problem. There's this uncircumcised Philistine out here taunting the God of Israel, terrorizing the Jewish people, and something has to be done. So David stepped up and said, Hineni, going back to the other point, he's available. 
And he was a man of action. He was going to solve the problem, again, with the help of Adonai. There's nothing you and I can't do when God is our partner. And if we follow these principles, God will show up for us like he did for David, like he did for this first century Kehillah in Acts chapter 6. Because the result of them solving this problem in this way, did you read it there at the end? What did it say? The Talmudim grew in number there in Yerushalayim. The kingdom goes forward when we solve the problems according to godly principles. Amen? Number five, in connection with this, if we're going to partner with God, we're not only going to be problem solvers, but we're going to be those people who give what we have. See, if we're going to partner with God, he wants to see that we're willing to give what we have. And I thought of the boy with his lunch who was willing to give it all to Yeshua to feed the crowd. The story is found in several of the, the Bissarot, but I'm reading from Yochanan chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Sometime later, Yeshua went over to the far side of Lake Canera, that is Lake Tiberias. We also know it as the Sea of Galilee. And the large crowd followed him because they had seen the miracles he had performed on the sick. So Yeshua went up into the hills and he sat down there with his Talmudim. Now, the Judean festival of Pesach was coming up. So when Yeshua looked up and he saw the large crowd that was approaching, he said to Philip, where will we be able to buy food, buy bread, so that these people can eat? Now, Yeshua said this to test Philip, for Yeshua himself knew what he was about to do. Now, this is just a little side thing here, and I was sharing this uh, this week in conversation with a couple different people. Uh, But God always has a plan. Do you understand that? So when he asked Philip, what are we going to do? Yeshua already knew. He already, the plan was already there. God has a plan for your life and my life for this congregation, even when we don't know what it is. He may ask us some questions to test us, but he already knows what he's going to do. And Philip answered, half a year's wages wouldn't buy enough bread for them. Each one would only get a little bite. And one of the Talmudim, Andrew, the brother of Shimon Kepha, said to him, well, There is a young fellow here who has five loaves of barley bread and two fish, but how far will they go among so many? So Yeshua said, have the people sit down. There's a lot of grass there, so they set them down. The number of men was about 5,000, okay? That didn't include children and women, and you know they were there as well. So at least 10,000. I'm going to say more, but at least. Five loaves of bread. And two fishes. Yeshua took the loaves of bread and after making a bracha, gave to all who were sitting there and likewise with the fish as much as they wanted. And after they had eaten their fill, in other words, not just a little bite, but they ate until they were full. Oh, I can't eat anymore. He told his Talmudim, gather the leftover pieces so that nothing gets wasted. And they gathered them. See, Yeshua is frugal. Don't waste the food. So when your mother tells you we can't waste the food, she's just following Yeshua's example. They gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces left over from the five loaves and the two fishes after at least 10,000 people had eaten. Sometimes we are unwilling to give what we have because we come up with excuses again. The first excuse, which is what the Talmudim were saying, it's not enough to meet the need. How could five loaves and two fishes feed 
thousands of people. And so Yeshua may be saying, I want you to give what you got. But Yeshua, even if I do give what I have, it's not going to help. It's such a small amount. And so we don't give because we're like, how could it help? And then another excuse we give for not, you know, giving what we, we have is, it's not my fault no one else packed their lunch. I mean, could you see the little boy when Yeshua says, you know, can I have your file? Oh, Yeshua, my mom packed my lunch. You know, these people should have packed their own lunch. It's their responsibility to bring their own lunch with them. Didn't they know they were going out for the whole day? See, these are just a couple of the types of things we sometimes say when God comes and says, okay, give what you got. I don't have time to give. Give what you got. I only have 15 minutes. What good is that going to do? Give what you got. Because what did God do with that little boy's five loaves and two fishes? Again, he fed at least 10,000 people and had 12 baskets of leftovers. So you may think, well, my 15 minutes is nothing to give. Or my little offering is nothing. Or my little, you know, talent to be able to, you know, to sow or to do. What is it? It's nothing. But God says, give what you got. And you will be amazed at what he can do when we give him what we have. As Rabbi Michael encouraged us in his message last year, last year, (laughs) last year, last week, everything we have is God's anyway. So when God says, Carol, give this to me for me to hold and say, oh, no, I'm not going to give it to you because it's not enough anyway, and it's mine, and I worked hard, and it's God's to begin with. So give him what, he, what we have. Number six, if we want to be a partner with God, then we need to be great managers of our time. Matthew 21, 45 through 51, Yeshua is giving this parable story. Who is the faithful and sensible servant whose master puts him in charge of the household stuff to give them their food at the proper time? It will go well with that servant if he is found doing his job when his master comes. Yes, I tell you that he will put him in charge of all he owns. But if that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is taking his time, and he starts beating up his fellow servants and spends his time eating and drinking with drunkards, then his master will come on the day the servant does not expect, at a time he doesn't know, and he will cut him in two and put him with the hypocrites where people will well and grind their teeth. You see, there are two types of people in this story, in this parable. The first is diligent and a good manager of his time, talents, and resources. The second is a person who is lazy and apathetic and has no problem squandering his time and his master's resources. And God is looking for partners, and he is looking for people who will manage their time well. Adonai talks a lot about time management in the scriptures. And, and they, God uses the analogy of time, and he gives uh, timetables on certain things. So Yeshua says, don't think there's four months yet to the harvest. I tell you that now, today is the day. The harvest is ready now. Why is he telling that? Because it's time for us to work, to manage our time well, to do the things that he has called us to do. Yeshua also says, work while it is still daylight. In other words, encouraging us to be good managers of the time that he has entrusted us with. How can we be a better manager of our time? To treasure it. 
to treasure it. One writer shared this illustration. Imagine there's a bank that credits your account each morning with $86,400. It carries over no balance from day to day. Every evening, it deletes whatever part of the balance you failed to use during the day. What would you do? You draw out every cent, of course. Well, each of us has a bank, and it's called time. Every morning, it credits you with 86,400 seconds. Every day, you get 86,400 seconds. And every night, it writes off as lost whatever this you failed to invest to a good purpose. You can't carry it over to the next day. So what are you doing with the 86,400 seconds you are given every day? How are you managing that time? How am I managing that time? This writer was using this illustration. He went on to say, it allows no overdraft. Each day it opens a new account for you. Each night it burns the remains of the day. If you fail to use the day's deposit, the loss is yours. There's no going back. There's no drawing against tomorrow. You have to live in the day's present deposit and invest it so you can get from it the utmost in every area of your life. And for us, in terms of eternal investment. 86,400 seconds you and I are given a day. We need to use it wisely. And the most important way we can use it is to invest in the kingdom of God. And if you and I don't manage our time, someone or something else will manage it for us. If you and I don't manage our time, someone or something else will manage it for us. Number seven, we need to be lovers of people. Yeshua says in Matthew 22, 39, he's talking about the two greatest commandments here. He says, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Charlie Brown said, you know, I love mankind. It's just people I can't stand. You can quote Charlie Brown in the message, right? I love mankind. It's just people I can't stand. But Yeshua says, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. And in case we're wondering, well, who's my neighbor? Right? He answers that question. Okay? Because the neighbor isn't the person who's just kind to you that you like. Right? Your neighbor is even the enemy, the one who persecutes you. So love is something that has to be seen in our actions, and certainly we can see this demonstrated for us by God himself because he demonstrated his love by sending his only son to come and die on the tree of sacrifice. So how do we demonstrate our love in action? One is sticking with people through difficult times. Love doesn't abandon ship because things get difficult. Love shows kindness. Love helps people when they are in need. Love is expressed even when people act unlovable. Again, I think of the example of Adonai towards us. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were yet sinners, in other words, we weren't lovable people, God demonstrated his love for us. So just because someone's unlovable doesn't mean we shouldn't love them. And love is putting others first. And sometimes it's hard to be unselfish and to put others first 
because we all have needs. I could look across this room, and I know almost every one of you, and I know the situations that many of you are facing, and there are a lot of needs here in this, this congregation. And sometimes when you are in such great need, it's hard to put someone else first. But that's what love does. And love makes time for others. There's a little story several years ago in London, England. The city was besieged with complaints about London's mass transit system. And it seems that the city's buses tended to drive right past the bus stops, even though there were customers standing in line waiting to be picked up. So called upon to explain their actions, the London Transit Authorities released this following statement, which has become infamous with public relations departments everywhere it read. It is impossible for us to maintain our schedules if we are always having to stop and pick up passengers. But that's what they were supposed to do, is to take the time to pick up the passengers. We need to take the time to love one another. Again, it goes back to that thing about being too busy. We can't be too busy to stop and love and help other people out in need. And finally, the, the last thing here, to be a partner with God, we can't take credit for anything that we do. Adonai is looking for people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and work without any concern for recognition. People who are not concerned about having a title or position, but who are interested in seeing the lives of others change and advancing the kingdom of God. It touches my heart to see God moving and to see the, the different ones of you here and how God has touched your life. You know, I just finally got the video from the immersion, which I'm going to post uh, online. I mean, I posted on one side. I'm going to post it on Facebook. But when I think of Shane and Samara and, and Daniel and Carol, again, their lives have been touched through, through this congregation. How awesome it is. And so many people contribute to that. And I'm thinking of, of uh, Carol and Dan who grew up from the nursery into the junior Shabbat. And now Dan's in the, the youth group. How many different teachers they had. And I have to tell uh, uh, Chris later, but as I'm in worship and I'm over here and I just turn at one point and there's Carol sitting on the front row. And God's presence was all over her. Her hand was on her heart and she was just singing that smile. It was God's presence on her. So many people contributed to her being touched for Yeshua as she has grown up in this congregation. But none of us should look to take glory. It's God moving through each one of us. Acts 14, the story of Barnabas and Shaul. There was a man living in Lystra who could not use his feet, crippled from birth. He had never walked. This man listened to Shaul speaking, and Shaul looked at him intently. And seeing that he had faith to be healed, he said with a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. He jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Shaul had done, they began to shout out in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the form of men. And they began to call Barnabas Zeus and Shaul Hermes because he did most of the talking. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just out the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates, intending to offer a sacrifice to them with the people. When the emissaries Barnabas and Shaul heard of it, they tore their clothes and ran into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We're just men, human beings like you. They didn't want to take credit for this healing. 
They were just instruments used by the hand of God. And they were quick to say, don't do this. Don't do this. We're just human beings. When thinking of our eternal portfolio, we should desire to have the best partner. And I want to tell you, that is God. But we need to be the type of partner that God's looking for. So I want to encourage you to apply these principles in your life this week. So for the first one, how can you show yourself faithful to Adonai this week? This is how you're going to apply this. What way can you show yourself to be faithful this week? Number two, in what situation can you walk in integrity, showing yourself to be trustworthy? Number three, will you allow your schedule, busy schedule to be interrupted so you're available to invest into the kingdom of God this week? Number four, are you willing to help find a solution to the problem instead of contributing to it? Because sometimes that's what happens. In other words, we see a problem, like the illustration we gave was of the widows there in Acts chapter 6. And sometimes what happens when the problem arises, uh, we begin to make it worse instead of trying to find a solution. And so what are you going to do this week to, instead of being part of the problem, look to being part of the solution? whether that be at work, for some of you. This applies to your work situation, I'm telling you right now. And that's not the prophetic word. I just know some of you need to become problem solvers at work instead of problem creators. Just saying. Number five, will you give what you have to others and to the kingdom of God, even if you think what you have is insignificant? Number six, what will you do with the 86,400 minutes you are given every day this week? Number seven, who can you love on this week? Pick someone who's unlovable. I'm just going to throw that out there. Don't go loving on your best friend. I mean, you can, but besides loving on your best friend, pick someone who sort of gets under your skin and loves on them. And number seven, can you do all of this without drawing attention to yourself or looking for praise from men or recognition of what you've done? Can you do all of this without drawing attention to yourself? That's the type of partner that God wants. And when we partner with God, we are making great investments into eternity. Let's stand to our feet. Father and I, we thank you for your word to us this morning. And God, we thank you that you uh, want to partner with us, Lord. And God, that uh, you are encouraging us to think about uh, eternal investments, God, in terms of our time and our talents, God, and who we are. And Lord, I pray that uh, each one of us, God, would... Uh, take these principles that you have encouraged us with this morning from your word and 
and seek to become that type of partner, God, to you. Lord, that we could be partners that you use to to do awesome things, Lord, in our generation, God, in our community, in our homes, in our workplaces. Lord, even of the stories that we read and talked about from the message today, that we could say to the lame man, get up and, and walk and be healed. And, and we can stand in front of Goliath and say, you know, I come to you in the name of God Almighty, whom you defy. And today, you know, you are going to be defeated. God, that when we see someone who is hurting, we can reach out and minister to them when there's a need that we can be a part of the solution, Lord. God, help us, God, to apply these things, Lord, in a very practical way in our lives this week. God, that we'd be laying up treasures in heaven, God, more so than on this earth. Because eternity is what matters the most. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love for us. In Yeshua's name. Amen. I'm going to close here with ironic benediction. I'm going to ask uh, Rena and Gary to join me down here uh, afterwards. If you need prayer for anything, whether it's related to the message or not we want to be available just to pray with you again if you're a visitor as you leave today please take that card and meet fred and natalie out there by the uh, the table in the foyer they have a gift to give to you and uh just each of you walk in the fullness of god and be a, a good partner with him this week and uh hebrew class at two prayer from three to four but let me close with this benediction bless you and keep you. make his face shine on you and show you his favor. lift up his face on you and give you peace. May you walk in the peace and joy of Adonai. Shabbat shalom. Again, uh, Gary and Rena will join me down here. If you need a prayer for anything, please come. We want to partner with God to see release come into your life. And we'll see everyone later in the day.